Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views, opinions or position of film and tvreview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. Film and tvreview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this program and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humor and language. For full terms and conditions see filmandtvreview.com. Hello and welcome to the filmandtvreview.com podcast. Today is looking at the BAFTA and Oscar nominations for 2023, which is sort of looking back on 2022. I'm James, I'll be your host, and we have a Zoom room full of people eager to share their views on the uh, nominations this year. So, Jason, do you want to kick us off with your thoughts? Well, yes, it's uh, these Oscars, I was going through the Oscars list, it seems quite an eclectic mix of popular choices, uh, audience-friendly ones and the more um, esoteric choices who are popular amongst the, the artist circles and you know, kind of like the, 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 the big names, certainly within the academy. So it'd be interesting to see how these um, uh, Oscars pan out. Um, I, I think it's more of a play to make it more popular. I mean, uh, ratings have been going down, but... Um, um, ho- hopefully they're going to make an effort to in the future to to address that. Um, of no, I guess for me, um, to talk about basically what I had, probably my best film that I, I saw that's been nominated, both for best, best Actress and also the best film, I think. And that's Everything Everywhere at Once. Um, again, kind of word of mouth that carried that film. Um, and if you try to describe it, it's kind of like it works on quite a few levels. It is almost you could say science fiction, but it's also about uh, the path not taken in life. Um, different, it's more kind of about multiverse reality, which I, I know has been quite popular in the Marvel movies, but here it's kind of like really aimed at more of that adult audience where you can think of the consequences and the concepts. Um, 
but it's all grounded by a good central performance by Michel Yeoh, who, of course, has a long history in in uh, Chinese cinema and action cinema um, topics. But uh, you've seen quite a few. Um, yeah, it is, it's one of the best films, I think, of the last last year. And I'm not alone in thinking that. So it's got um, 11 Oscar nominations and 10 BAFTA nominations. So really sort of high profile. I think it did quite well as well off of the back of being released around the same time as Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which was the big Marvel release. But the general consensus is that everything, everywhere, all at once is a, is a better film. Um so yeah, it's good to see it up so so many awards. I think um, uh, it's not the most nominated film if you look at BAFTAs and Oscars together. So All Quiet on the Western Front has got nine Oscar nominations, but fourteen BAFTA nominations. So it's got like twenty three spread across both ceremonies, which is quite a lot. I did watch it on Netflix, and it has got it's got amazing cinematography in it, really really good. But it. It is one of the most grueling films I think I've seen this decade. Um, sort of think Saving Private Ryan, and then some. It's it's got some really like gory moments in it. Really, quite a tough watch, um, but it's definitely worth a watch. Watch the first time. Um, Banshees of Inisherin as well has ten BAFTA nominations and nine Oscar nominations. Uh, Elvis has got eight Oscar nominations and nine BAFTA nominations. Um, and then Tar as well has six Oscar nominations and five BAFTA nominations. Top Gun actually has six Oscar nominations as well and four BAFTA nominations. So those are the ones that have kind of got 10 or more spread across both both things. So, yeah, I think it's a good mix of of sort of, uh, you know, lesser known films or, or maybe more critically acclaimed films and the sort of big blockbuster films that, that have got a, a big awareness amongst around them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew, I will go to you because you you were teased to to start, and then and then Jason decided to go to me. So, what are your thoughts on the the nominations? And do the BAFTAs even like do they even like register in America? Is this just something we're going on about in Britain? No, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, and there's all it just depends. I mean, there are people who are in the movies and people who aren't. I mean, I can try and find out stuff about like the Cesar Awards or the Goya Awards or other countries and their awards um but uh yeah i mean the people who are like really into films yeah they may like see what's going on with baptism it's usually more like a precursor thing like you know which way are the oscar nominations going to go but not that the oscar nominations have already been announced it's like okay uh but it sometimes like you say what films are going to get chosen for the oscar nominations and the baptists get announced first and people are like oh okay you know, this is what maybe people in other countries like or what they appreciate. So, you know, maybe this is the way that they're going to go. Uh, well, that and the uh, the guilds, you know, the uh, SAG producers and directors guilds, and then the other technical guilds, you know, which way uh, are the nominations going to go? So now that the nominations have already been announced, um, it's a lot of unusual choices. And I think some people were sort of like disappointed that certain films getting nominated. Like I remember like back in a few months ago, there were certain films that seemed like they were part of the Oscar conversation and now they don't really have any nominations. Like films like 
uh, I guess Till just got released uh, in the UK. You know, that was part of the Austin conversation. I don't know. And then uh, she said, uh, or uh, Bones and all. Uh, and that's not really a knock against the nominees or people that, you know, work so hard in the things that did get nominated, but I'm sort of thinking like something like Ana de Armas for Blonde, you know, it's sort of like, did that film, that film's up for like Razzies and now it's like part of the Oscar conversation. You know, what about other actresses who could have been nominated in that place? Or, uh, and this is, you know, not a knock against performance. It's just a film that never really got much of a release outside of maybe LA and New York City. Uh, and that's the movie To Leslie with uh, Andrea Riseborough. I think, I don't know her name, but she's nominated for Best Actress as well. And it's like, yeah, I guess it was an internet thing. And that's why she got nominated. It was like an internet push. But it's, it's a film that no one really would have seen unless they happened to travel to. Because really the way, that, and I may have already said this, but the Oscar rules are such that all the film has to do is get released in a cinema in LA, maybe New York City. They don't have to be released anywhere else in the US, much less the rest of the planet. So that's really all that has to happen. So if you don't happen to live near those two cities or in those two cities, you're not going to have an opportunity to see these films so or these performances so uh that being said there's a lot of other uh choices that kind of were like people didn't expect like triangle of sadness got a bunch of nominations people thought maybe ironically the one place where people thought the film would get nominated is best supporting actress for dolly de leon i guess that's her name she didn't actually get nominated but the film got nominated for, I guess, for Best Picture for other things. It's like they didn't expect that. People didn't expect that. Uh, also, the newest version of All Quiet in the Western Front. Again, not a film that people would have expected. Maybe Best Foreign Language, but not, you know, Best Picture and, and other big categories. But, uh, and, and there's, uh, I'm trying to think what other unusual choices there were this year. But, um, but yeah, I guess people, we're expecting some different things and it also makes you wonder like you know what can be done also with regards to you know there's a lot of diverse types of performances but also performances for people like you know you know non-white performers like uh, you know danielle deadweiler or uh, viola yeah. davis uh beyond the best actress category uh and there may be some other examples, but those those are. Uh, that being said, there's uh, one that was a little bit unusual in the Best Supporting Actor uh, for the movie Causeway. There's a Brian Tyree Henry has got nominated. Interestingly, people thought maybe Jennifer Lawrence would get nominated for that film, and she didn't. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of uh, actresses this year given fine performances. They can only nominate so many, so. It's uh, it's interesting how they played out. So it's not like things played out as expected. I think in terms of like people who will win, it may play out as normal, but in terms of the people who are nominated and some, again, I'm not going with the other side performances or 
or the um, other categories. Uh, I guess Marcel the Shell, she was on, didn't get a UK release yet. It's out in February, I believe, because I sat through a trailer for it last night when I went to see the Fablemans, and I wasn't quite sure what I was watching for about five. It's a long trailer. Well, it's, it's so adapted. This is, a sh- like, this is an animated shell with shoes, isn't it? Yeah, it's adapted from a series of shorts that uh, Jenny Slate did with her uh, then husband. I mean, they're divorced now, but I guess they still work together fine. So, uh, because he's actually in the film and live act, because it's. A mix of animation and live action. So, uh, but it got released in the US back during the summer. Again, when I say release, I don't know if it got like a wide release, whether people in like some small town in Iowa would have had a chance to see it or whatever. Uh, but it's something that would have played in a lot of big cities in the US back during the summer. So it's interesting that it's coming now. It's a good film. It's not something that you expect like, oh, I'm going to watch a film about a shell with shoes on. How can I get emotionally invested in this? But it's actually really moving. So as I said, it's adapted from a series of internet shorts that that Jenny Slate had done years ago. I guess you can find them on YouTube. So um, so that's in the best animated feature category, I believe. Uh, And then I guess Puss and Boots sequels just getting released now or something or in the UK, I guess. That's it got released. in February as well. Yeah. yeah. We get everything two months late. I don't know why. Yeah, because it got released in the US right before Christmas to take advantage of the whole Christmas, you know, people going on holiday and school's out and all that. So this seems like they're waiting till now to release it in the UK. So the whole point was to release it so people, kids and all that can see it. But, but yeah, so, um, but I'm kind of curious about some of the other categories, like the shorts, the live action shorts. I usually go see those in the cinema. So uh, kind of curious how those are. But uh, a lot of surprises here, that's, that's all I can say. So. Cool. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, um, Daniel Deadweiler for um, Till is a massive oversight. Like it's one of the best performances I've seen in the last 10 years. So I don't know how that's happened, but, but it has. Um, Anita. Hello, you've joined us. You're early, earlier than you usually are. Um, yeah, I actually uh, finished work at a half decent time. So um, I couldn't make it last week. I was driving and I couldn't even change my RSVP, but I'm here now. So that's good. Um, yeah, so um, I, I just went on um, James's list that you've put on Meetup. And I have mentioned three of the films that I've seen. So um, Maverick. As I've said, in terms of the plot line and the effort with the consistency, if you're a fan of the first one, I just thought it was brilliant. I loved it. And I'm not much of a massive techie person, but obviously I realised that that was pretty great, as you've all said. Anyway, we've discussed uh, Maverick several times. Um, The last time I was here about three weeks ago, I mentioned um, She Said, which I think was under the BAFTA list, I think. Um, and yeah, I thought it was really good, really well paced, really good chemistry between the two actresses. It was based on the book that was written by the two journalists that broke the case. And I think the film was a really good reflection of the book. Both were excellent um, and I loved it. I thought it was really good. Also, I have um, mentioned Good Luck to Leo Grand. 
very entertaining. But to me, it didn't feel particularly groundbreaking, but I did appreciate it. I thought it was very good. Um, now, the only one that I haven't mentioned, and I'm hoping um, a few other people have seen it, um, The Batman. Um, now, this was just under three hours long. So, um, yeah, my attention span wasn't great. I literally did lose the plot on occasion. Very early on, it seemed to me there were quite a lot of characters. I didn't understand how this was tying together. Um, it became a bit clearer later on. Uh, there's like a background story with his uh, Bruce Wayne's father. Um, that was quite good. Um, so as far as I'm aware, um, the three main characters and the serial killer uh, was the Riddler. Obviously, you have Batman, and you very obviously had Catwoman, um, who, who was really good um so yeah what i would say was it's plus points um the atmosphere was just so consistently spooky and sinister um it's very intense uh this is of the um silences which weren't annoying as in the tv program witless silence um uh the music when there was background music um was brilliant a lot of it very haunting, very choral, very orchestral, um, absolutely perfect. Um, and there, there was a lot of echoing. Uh, it, it, and it was there was just always this constant atmosphere. Um, I found that gripping. I didn't find the plot gripping, but I found that uh, quite gripping actually. Um, it'd be interesting to hear if anyone thinks it is. Oscar or BAFTA worthy, I don't really feel qualified to say. If it was a book, I would, but <laughs> I'm not as good on films. Um, like the casting, like Robert Patterson, like Zoe Kravitz, and I love Paul Dano as the Riddler. Um, the only thing, I'm glad it didn't go a bit out of control. There is a love story, a slight background love story going on with Batman and Catwoman. It didn't get out of control. It did not get nauseating. In fact, it was okay. But I was worried. I was worried. Oh, no, no, this isn't going to work for me. Um, but actually, it was quite subtle and it wasn't overdone at all. Um, so on the whole, I quite enjoyed it. But two hours, 56 minutes. No, I just I just think that's way too long. Um, so, yeah, that is it for me. Once that I still want to watch, still haven't seen Elvis, still haven't seen The Banshees of Isherin, and I would quite like to see Triangle of Sadness. I quite like the premise. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Top Gun, Maverick, it was actually, so the original was nominated for four Oscars, and I think it won the best uh, song, original song for Take My Breath Away in 1986 and this has actually got six so it's sort of improved on that including a best best picture nomination which is obviously the original didn't get and um best adapted screenplay i think there's a couple of these where if they're sequels i think the same applies to night um glass onion because it's a sequel to knives out it's it's not considered an original original script but it'll be interesting to see how that that does a lot of people were sort of saying tom cruise might get a nomination but for best actor but that didn't happen but maybe top gun three in uh another another 36 years and he'll get that so um alan hello you're in a different room to the room you're usually in that is yes, my observation um, there tonight i'm not in belfast <laughs> ah, okay um 
Yeah, um, there's a lot of talk in, in uh, Ireland about how um, all the nominations, all the categories in the BAF, in the, in the Oscars, sorry, have all got Irish links, like Paul Meskell in Aftersun, The Quiet Girl, in, which is in the Irish language, and one of the short films um, called An Irish Goodbye um, is an interesting film. I haven't seen it yet, but it's, it's interesting um, in that the main actor has Down syndrome. And um, it's short and it's something to do with, with Ireland. I'm, I'm sorry I'm not qualified to talk about it because I haven't seen it because um, it's hard to get hold of a short. Um, so that's certainly something I want to see shortly. Um, um, let me see. Uh, so the Banshees are going to share, and I think I've seen a version that everybody else hasn't seen. <laughs> I definitely didn't didn't like it at all. I didn't float my boat. As I said, it's um, by a guy called Martin McDonough. He does mostly stage work, and I've seen all his stage plays on various times throughout Ireland on the theatres here. And it's really quite different. And it really is, it's a bit like Tar and some of those other films that it, the content is poor, but it's because of who's in them, you know, like Kate Blanchett and um, Colin Farrell. It's that, it, it, I just, it just gives me that sort of impression about Banshees and in the Sharon. So I wasn't, I wasn't too impressed with it. So that's one of the, um, the Irish films uh, that's on the Oscars and the BAFTAs. I see that um, my favourite this year is probably Empire of Light, which made it to the BAFTAs, but didn't hit the Oscars, I'm afraid. And um, um, All Quiet on the Western Front. I mentioned All Quiet on the Western Front because I seen this just a couple of days ago. And I thought, this isn't really me. This is another Dunkirk or another 1917. You know, it's another war film. Um, but it really was quite different. And technically, and, uh, you know, and even things like the score, it was really different. And yes, it's a war film, and it's about the First World War. But it seems to be well-researched. There's no, no particular... Um, fav favorite actor, famous actor in it. They all seem to be like newbies, um, and it is. It's like a, it's like a, it's like seeing the war from the German perspective instead of the English perspective. I thought so. I was very impressed with that, and I hope it'll do well. And it's in the Baftas and in the Oscars, so I hope it'll get um, some sort of recognition. Um, the final thing is. The Wheel, I'm very keen to see The Wheel. I haven't managed to get hold of it yet because um, I know Andrew said he had seen it, but I can't get it. It's not, it doesn't seem to be available on Netflix in the UK or in, in Ireland. So it, I believe it's going to be available in the next fortnight. But The Wheel seems an interesting um, movie and it's for an Oscar and for it's nominated for Oscars and it's nominated in the BAFTAs. So I think that's going to be worth seeing. That's going to be something different. It's based on a, a theatre play. And it, it's all set in one, um, it's all shot in one room. And um, it's about 
an unusual tale about someone that's overweight, perhaps. I think that's the, the, the gist of it. Um, so I'd like to see the Wheel and Empire of Light hitting the BAFTAs. Um, things like Tar, Living, Banshees, were poor. And I see that they are in both categories, in both awards. And I thought they were poor. I really did. And um, so All Quiet in the Western Front, I think, is my, is probably up there um, in terms of what I've seen this year. So, um, yeah. So good luck to everybody and good luck to the Irish, of course, as well. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Um, yeah, all quiet on the Western Front. Um, I mean, I really love 1917. I wasn't so taken with Dunkirk. I think 1917 is quite a fun movie to watch, like the spectacle and the scale of it. There is horror in there, but I felt the horror was much more to the front of all quiet on the Western Front. Like, it's quite a tough watch in places, but really, really good cinematography in it, yeah. Um, Jean, hello. How are you? Hi, hi everyone. I'm good. I mean, I've uh, had a chance to get over the shock and the disappointment that was uh, yeah. the Oscars um, nominees announcements. But uh, yeah, I definitely have some thoughts on it. So, uh, where would you like me to start, James? <laughs> where should I? Whatever you feel like. I, I, I'm not. I'm not directing you. I want. I want the vitriol. I want the vitriol first. You want the rant. The, uh, I mean, I can well, start off with the Bastards. Yeah. Um, I yeah, think yeah, the Bastards did a decent job actually this year. Um, going back to the Golden Globes, I felt like the Golden Globes was a nice reflection of the best of what uh, 2022 had to offer, and I would say the Bastards also did the same. Um, in terms of the best film under the BAFTAs, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, The Banshees of Inisher and Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once and Tar. Um, I think that's a decent list. I would prefer The Woman King be in here. I've been saying this for weeks now, but um, that is my favourite film of last year. So anywhere where I could put The Woman King would always be um, great. I would easily replace it with Tar easily <laughs> it's not even a question i've been saying this all week tar is an inferior version of whiplash i do not understand why people are so obsessed with this film i think kate blanchette isn't even as good as jk simmons even though she is great in the film to be fair um but i think the fact that it's something that we've seen before albeit from a different perspective is kind of off-putting to me to label as some of the best that has been released of last year. Whereas The Woman King, there is nothing that compares. Like, bring up the list. There's literally nothing that compares. I have an entire document of, like, films to do with Black people. And in my whole document, I can't find a single one that is anything close to The Woman King. It's such a unique experience. But more importantly, it's executed brilliantly with some incredible performances. And I feel like the lack of The Woman King in both in both Best Picture categories for the Oscars and the BAFTAs is appalling. Now, we'll get to the Oscars in a minute, but just continuing on with the BAFTAs, I think for best film, I would 100% back everything, everywhere, all at once. Like that, if that doesn't win, if they do something crazy, like do Banshees or like these other films, I, I haven't watched All Quiet, but everything else I have seen and these other films are fine, but everything, everywhere, all at once, once again, 
pushes the boundaries, you know? And that is what I'm looking for, for a best film uh, kind of candidate. So that's the only one that really stands out to me. I'm not going to go through all of them, but one unique aspect of the BAFTAs is that they have best, uh, sorry, outstanding British film. And in this category, we have After Sun, Banshees, Brian and Charles, Empire of Light, Good Luck to Julio Grand, Living, Matilda, See How They Run, The Swimmers and The Wonder. The only things I haven't seen here are Living, The Swimmers and The Wonder. I've actually seen Brian and Charles and all of that. Uh, I would give it to Banshees. I would give it to Banshees here. So I'd be okay with Banshees winning here and then Everything Everywhere All at Once winning for Best Film. A short of Banshees, I would be good with Matilda or Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which is a great film with Emma Thompson and uh, Daryl McCormack, who's a, a great um, new star. And he's actually been nominated for you know Rising Star for the EE Award. Okay, next. Uh, what's the big one that I wanted to highlight? Um... Oh, I liked the fact, uh, I liked the best actress category for the BAFTAs. Here, this is a category that I can get behind. You have Kate Blanchett, Viola Davis, Danielle Deadweiler, Anna de Armas, Emma Thompson, and Michelle Yeoh. That, to me, is a solid category. <laughs> that is a category that makes sense. It's, it's giving, it's a well-rounded category, acknowledging a range of different performances, it's just so much better than the one that we got for the Oscars. Um, and then for my personal choice would be Michelle Yeoh. Um, even though I'm 100% behind Viola Davis, I do think that Michelle Yeoh, this is her year. So I would back Michelle Yeoh in this category. And then for Best Actor, we have Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, Daryl McCormack, Paul Muscal, and uh, Bill Nye. And I would back Colin Farrell. 100%. Um, so yeah, I think th these categories really make sense. They did a really great job with the BAFTAs this year, for once. But now we move over to the Oscars. <laughs> we move over to the Oscars, where it all just goes wrong. Um, and I think the category that people had the most issue with was Best Lead Actress, where we have Kate Blanchett, Anna de Armas, Andrea Riseborough, Michelle Williams, and Michelle Yeoh. Now, to me, there are two problems here. One problem is Anna de Armas, who snuck in here somehow through the power of sheer force of will, Marilyn Monroe's spirit, and Netflix. <laughs> she managed to get on the board. And I think that is crazy, considering the subject matter and the way that they treated the subject matter in the film. Uh, I've seen some bizarre things. I've seen more analysis of Blonde than I have actual footage of the film because I did not watch it. And apparently it's just an over-sexualization of Marilyn's story. It has bizarre takes on pro-life commentary. It's a very weird film. Um, but apparently Anna de Armas's, um, you know, transformation is, is such that she deserves an Academy Award. I don't know. I feel like there are other performances that deserve to be on here instead. But the real big issue is, of course, Andrea Riseborough. Now, I could write whole essays on why this is an issue. <laughs> but just to give some background, I don't know if you guys talked about it before I came on here, because I was like 10 minutes late. No, I think I think Alfonso might take us through some of it in a little while as well. But 
yeah because i've been looking into I, I don't really know too much other than headlines so, I've, I've yeah I'll, I'll explain right because i've been following this and it was in my periphery until it became a huge issue <laughs> but essentially over the last couple of weeks we've had some high profile um, actresses start to sprinkle in the idea that Andrea Riseborough is underrated and her performance in Two Leslie should have been given more recognition. In fact, to me, that seemed, well, to many people, it seemed very bizarre, very, you know, out of left field because, you know, the awards campaign, as flawed as it is, has a system, right, where these studios are paying money to ensure that, you know, the, the voters, whatever, um, voters um, apply to whatever awards um, are able to see these films just to see them just to look at them and to start to think of them as awards worthy that is the basis of the awards campaign because at the end of the day there are so many films that are worthy of our attention and our consideration but there's only a few that these studios can pay to have you know be put in front of the voters faces and keep in mind these voters aren't all the same across the board the BAFTA voters are different to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for the Golden Globes who are different to the Screen Actors Guild who are different to the Academy so that's a considerable amount of money that you need to pay in order to just get people to watch these damn films right but here we have a guerrilla campaign which kind of goes against that system and you know, on first glance, that seems great because it means like, oh, you're breaking the system. Like, why would we advocate for the system? Like, surely, you know, if you have a different route to, to do this thing, to get your film in front of people's faces, then you can use that route. The problem is, is that no one else was playing by these rules. That is the problem to me, which is why they're having an uh, investigation, quote unquote, into this situation on Tuesday when they're going to have a board meeting. Um, and I, I do think that they need to do a lot of soul searching. So anyway, that's my rant <laughs> on yes. um, the best actress category. Um, I don't know if uh, Andrew has something specific to talk about, you know, when it comes to this topic. But before I move on. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, and I guess you, Jim, uh, already touched on it, but. Um, something that has been talked about for years now, and people have brought it up during Oscar time, is a lot of times just because people in the Academy have opportunities to see these films, you know, I guess at least in their home cities of uh, like LA or New York City, or they get sent screeners, they don't always get the, op the chance to see the films. So a lot of times, you know, these films kind of gonna go under the radar. And that's unfortunate. And I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember hearing this one Academy member talk, I think it was an Academy member like some years ago, mentioning like how uh, he went to a studio party, I guess it was for Universal for the film version of Les Miserables. And he went and there were people from the cast and crew there. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, I'd love to go to a studio party too. I mean, it doesn't mean it's the best film or the best performances. And Add to that that certain films just may be uncomfortable or mismarketed or whatever. Uh, for instance, the movie Tell may be, it's not the most comfortable film for a lot of people to see. Doesn't mean, you know, it's, it's a very good film and people should see it, but I could see some Academy members saying, ah, I don't feel like seeing it. Or um, something like uh, Bones and All, which also had a, I guess, uh, I guess it was Taylor Russell is her name lead actress 
and uh, that film kind of got mismarketed. It was sort of like marketed as horror or something, and it's more of a drama, in which case, you know, maybe it was mismarketed and people just were like, ah, I don't want to check that out. And people don't think much of horror, but it's actually uh, Bones and All is actually a drama about characters who just happen to be cannibals, but it's not like horror horror. But again, I think there's certain genres or certain categories that types of films that people in the Academy will just not want to check out. They won't nominate comedies or horror. Or sometimes they'll do sci-fi or fantasy, but it just, they just want to go for like the dramas, or the historical epics, things like that. So I think there's a lot of issues with just uh, people in the Academy already having ideas about what films they want to nominate, even just what films they want to see. Uh, and it's unfortunate. I uh, talk to critics, I talk to people who just, they'll see hundreds of films a year and they really know what are the best films out there. And it's unfortunate that people who really determine that, the Academy members, just don't take that opportunity to see the films, all the films. They just say, well, I just pick and choose what films to see and they miss out on a lot of films and a lot of performances. So that just... It's a shame though. It's It does seem weird because... Um... On the chat during the week, Alfonso was saying like, "Oh, people always love like the historical war dramas, and that's true. They they seem to get a lot of traction, don't they? And I'd agree, sci-fi does as uh, doesn't as well historically. But something like Till is a historical drama, right? Exactly. But it doesn't get it doesn't get that stuff. And I kind of get it as well. I mean, we were we were talking when Till come out, and I was saying it's a it's a heavy watch. It's so weird to have a twelve A certificate on a film like that." in this country which is something that that children can go to and that the marvel films have that um because it's so heavy and i get why mainstream audiences might not want to be queuing up to go and see it on first weekend like i've got to get this in and they're all going to see a man called otto which is a lot more you know what but i think till mm -hmm. and she said is, are two that i'm really surprised have been overlooked because I, I kind of get it that they might not get over with the mainstream, but I thought, you know, where Spotlight got a Best um, best Picture award years ago, she said it's pretty much in the same wheelhouse. You know, it's very much about the investigation. There's, there's some, you know, sort of um, disturbing detail and stuff in there, obviously, but it it's, it's a much lighter watch, I would say, than Till. It's very much focused on that investigation. But still, it hasn't hasn't done brilliantly at the box office and has only got two BAFTA nominations. But, but I mean, Till thing, has got this. Um, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, the thing is, it's just as you said, um, she said it's reminiscent of Spotlight. Like, you're pretty much, you know, saying why. It hasn't gotten um, as much attention because, you know, Spotlight was dealing with the issue of Catholic yeah. priests and, um, you know, abuse of children there. She, she said it's dealing with the emergence of the, the uh, Me Too movement. So both in incredibly worthy causes, but the approach of both films is quite similar. And to be fair, Spotlight did it better, right? I mean, just in terms of a filmmaking perspective, Spotlight was just more engaging. Um, so, but in the case of Till... This is a very unique story that hasn't really been told before on screen. Mm. And it was done so, so well. 
And we have Danielle Deadweiler's performance at the center of it. And listen, I watched two different versions of this story be told. One in television format with Women of the Movement by ABC Television and the other with Till. And let me tell you, Danielle Deadweiler's performance was incredible. And I watched Women of the Movement first, but I said to myself, you know, the actress who portrays um, Mamie Till in Women of the Movement is not quite giving it. She doesn't have the maturity. She doesn't, she doesn't have the weight to her. Um, even though the, the story around her is fascinating, there's something missing here. And when I watched Till, I was like, that's it. That's what was missing. And it was everything that Danielle Deadweiler gave us in her performance in this film. And then you have something like Women, uh, The Women King, where, you know, just as you're saying, James, um, you have this historical, you know, war, drama, peace. I mean, it should take all of the boxes in theory, but perhaps it's dealing with the wrong war. Perhaps the warriors don't look the way that the Academy want them to look, right? And so it's not getting as much of the attention that it should do, considering just how brilliant it is. And again, how unique and groundbreaking it is. So to me, it's really frustrating, especially, you know, considering we're talking about um, films that didn't get um, their due and, and didn't get watched by voters. To Leslie, who saw to Leslie? No, yeah, and, and this who is the thing. It? Nothing, no, it only made twenty-three thousand US dollars. Like literally, no one saw it. And, the Angela studios Rice, yeah, did not Angela option to, to buy it. The studios literally had the option to to take it on, and they refused. Okay, no one saw it. It had a very minor release. It's literally from just the word of mouth of these powerful actresses that. Um, what's her name? Andrea has managed to get on the board. And that to me is wild. Like you want to think about She Said, Women Talking, these other underrated films. At least enough people saw them for them to be part of the awards conversation. But two Leslie have come out of nowhere. And that is the issue. And also some of these people, we have no guarantee that they've even watched the film. It's just the fact that it's their friend who's in the film and they have enough power to influence at least 200 people in the Academy to vote for it in this category. That is appalling to me. And that is definitely something that the Academy needs to look into. But anyway, I just want to wrap up my thoughts overall and then I'll uh, pass the mic over to Richard. Um, in terms of the next um, category I wanted to mention was uh, Stephanie Hsu being nominated for Best Supporting Actress. I'm really glad um, for her role in Everything Everywhere All At Once. For some reason, Jamie Lee Curtis has been getting all of the attention. I don't understand that. I personally think that Stephanie Hsu deserves the shout more, um, but they're both on the board, so that's good. And then Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. I've been saying on my channel literally all year that Brian Tyree Henry is uh, an underrated gem. He was great in Bullet Train, great in Atlanta seasons three and four, and awesome in Causeway. So I'm really glad that the hype, the mumblings of hype that he got at the beginning of award season managed to carry him through to the end and in, onto the board. But I do think that this is going to go to Kei Hui Huan, absolutely and deservedly so. Angela Bassett being given the nomination for Best Supporting Actress is a triumph, okay? Deservedly so. I'm so, so happy. And I'm also happy to see Kerry Condon on there for Banshees of Inishirin, as, uh, as well as Barry Keegan for Banshees, because they're both phenomenal. And I actually think they're, they, to me, were the, the actors that connected better than the, you know, main actors, although I do think that Colin Farrell deserves to win in his category. And um, finally, oh yeah, the, uh, the last thing I wanted to say, Top Gun Maverick. 
um, being nominated for adapted screenplay. That is wild to me. <laughs> that makes no goddamn sense. First of all, have you seen this list of writers? There are about 50 writers on this film for the simplest plot of the lot. Like, I don't understand if Glass Onion had 50 writers because it's, it's quite a, a complex, multi-layered story. Not too complex, but there's something going on there. Top Gun Maverick... Are you joking? That's a story as old as time. That's a story as old as the military. There is nothing to adapt here. Uh, it's very simple. I think the, the awe and wonder of Top Gun Maverick comes in the visuals and the action. Uh, so it's wild that it's been you know, nominated for screenplay, but fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it from me, I think. I might mention something else after if I remember it, but yeah. It's, it's a pretty decent list, but I am very disappointed with the lack of... Um, Viola Davis, um, even Lashana Lynch from The Woman King, and Danielle Deadweiler for Till. Yeah. And Gina Prince-Blythewood for The Woman King as well. I would say the score for The Woman King as well is really, really good. Like, I was looking through those scores thinking none of them stand out to me. And the two, the only two I can think in the last year that have really stood out, regardless of whether people like the other films or like the films themselves or not, the Batman score was really good. Yes. And the Woman King, the Woman King score was really good. And neither of them are in the score category. The, I the Batman score, what. absolutely. Absolutely. The Batman score deserves to be here 100%. I think it's a case of Warner Brothers not having any money right now because the Batman should have been on here way more. But anyway. Yeah. Um. And the thing is, to sort of say, obviously, we've got no problem with Angela Riseborough as a person. She's a very good actress. But that film does seem to have come out of nowhere. And that do- that doesn't seem right. There does seem to be a problem in, in the um, the vote in there. Um, and also, it's worth pointing out that this is an award ceremony. You know, obviously, people, you know, just because something wins Best Picture doesn't mean it isn't the best picture of the year. Um, but it is disappointing, someone like yourself, obviously, who is a fan of film. And then it gets to this stage and... You know, you don't feel represented and stuff. So, um, Richard, you've got your hand up. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah. Uh, so then I, I was actually working. FYI, I was actually working. <laughs> I was well, working. Should we cut that? Should we cut that from the podcast? Is that going to get you in trouble with your real employers? No, 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 no. I was, I was working after <laughs> five an hour. That's why I, I deliberately saying. didn't mention it. But yeah, I, I was working from, I was working from home actually. So anyway, uh, because there was an event. Anyway, uh, bottom line, uh, I was listening, and uh, I, I, I don't think I can. I have enough knowledge of all the categories and all nominees to go through every single one of them like you did or like uh, Jeanne did. So I'm just going to uh, give my overall thoughts about uh, several things. Um, first of all, I mentioned actually in the in the chat, but, uh, but I said that several times, but, uh, and Jeanne mentioned Blonde, and uh, it makes me think about that. In all there is also the case of Elvis. Um, I, I really, I, I still believe that actually biopics are uh, a genre made for uh, awards. Uh, what I mean is that uh, I, I know it's it's crazy to say that from me because I'm not an actor. But uh, that being said, I really never saw uh, any uh, talent from someone actually just I'm guessing watching thousand hours of Elvis or thousand hours of Marine Monroe footage and just trying to recreate this on screen. I don't see that as acting, in my opinion. 
and I never saw that. But and that's true for other movies that I enjoyed, like Freddie Mercury for Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, which I really enjoyed this movie. But I still don't understand why. Um, what's his name? Rami Malek got a, 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 an Oscar for this. So, yeah, I, I will never understand that. But what do I know? Um, now, now for. Uh, Try to actually. I, I thought actually that Jean made a very good point about um, about how the the movies are, are chosen and how they are actually uh, about the campaigns, etc. So, what my thoughts are is uh, about, for example, about she said until. So, I haven't watched these movies, but obviously I know their uh, their um, subjects, the topics, and. Um, my guess is that, well, I think it's not rocket science, but it's clear, in my opinion, that uh, Hollywood is kind of act uh, out of uh, a lack of courage or a cowardness, if I can use that word, but by thinking that that kind of topic, because you were comparing, I think one of you guys compared, she said, with Spotlight. And yes, Spotlight was an amazing movie because it's addressed a very important, terrible uh, subject. Well done, but <laughs> in, in the end, it's a subject that it's happening. It's a worldwide problem, and also the center of the problem is ten thousand kilometers from Hollywood, and it's in Italy. So it's it's easier, obviously, to give awards to a thing like that. But when you talk about Abby Weinstein, or when you talk about uh, the uh, racial discrimination in the US, I think, yeah, it's too close to home for Hollywood to be brave enough to uh, give awards to movies like this, unfortunately. Um, I, I understand where Jeanne was coming from about the fact that, yeah, it's the Oscars, um, in my opinion, Oscars have always been interesting to know who won, who didn't win, etc. But in the back of my mind, I always knew actually that there was unfairness uh, and we, I think we all know that because uh, lobbying, lobbyism is such a big deal in the US, not only in the uh, for Oscars, but also in politics, for example. And uh, and it makes obviously things unfair. It's no surprise that actually that in the end, uh, the awards will go or the nominations will go always to the same people or will be decided based on a lot of things, but talent, let's say. Um, and I think that's actually the problem of the Oscars and the awards in general, and that's why people don't watch them, because in the end, people, I think, understand that. Maybe to finish on a, a, a funnier note, um, <laughs> I agree with Anita about the Batman. I found it was boring as well. I did like a rant about Batman back in the day, back in March on the meetup. I, I, can't believe I, when I was reading the meetup description earlier today, I saw that actually it had nominations. I don't know for BAFTA or, 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 or Oscars. I can't believe it, to be honest. I was less surprised to see nominations for Avatar than Batman, to be honest. Because again, Avatar, I'm not surprised because technically it's a masterpiece. Batman, it has nothing, this movie, neither technical nor actors, nothing, in my opinion. So I really don't understand all the first thought about. But anyway, that's uh, that's me being again in the minority. So uh, it's, not, it's nothing new here. Um, but yeah, and yeah, and uh, just saying nothing has been better than everything, everywhere, all at once, in my opinion. And actually, I was thinking that the other day, 
it's been a long time since I didn't feel that there is one movie that is better than everything else. What I mean is that I feel like there have been several years at the oh, during the OR seasons where you had several movies that were could compete kind of on the same level, let's say. And it was difficult to decide which one was the best. For me, this year, it's a no-brainer. It's pretty simple choice to make for the juries of any of our seasons, in my opinion, again. Um, or, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I see it this year for once. So, yeah, that's my, uh, my uh, two cents, if I can use uh, an English expression. And I've heard this year, Richard, the Best Effects Award is just going to be renamed the Avatar Award. Because really, why are they even on there <laughs> for, other, for other films in that category? But there you go. Um, Sean, hello. Hello. Lovely. Mine is also just short and sweet. Um, uh, <clears throat> see, in fact, I've only seen of the best picture categories, I've only seen two of them, which are Everything Everywhere All At Once, which I agree with with what most people have said, that is very good. And uh, I'll be more than happy with that one. Um, uh, but yesterday I went to see The Fablemans and uh, well I'm a massive Steven Spielberg fan so I was sort of going into it more thinking how much am I going to love this and uh, I did love it, it was amazing um, so yeah I'd recommend it, it's very good and uh, you know it won the Golden Globe so it was a good chance of winning the Oscar and I'd be more than happy if it did um, but yeah so I want Personally, I want to be a, to get into film myself. So it was also just a big inspiration watching it as well, seeing it. Because if you don't know, it's about Spielberg's um, uh, like teenage years and how he got into filmmaking, what he went through. So, uh, yeah, I absolutely love that film. And I might even go and see it again next week. And, uh, yeah, just to add on everything, everywhere at once as well, I agree with what I think someone else said. But I'm a bit confused about what would be love for Jamie Lee Curtis is in that film. I mean, she was fine in it, but I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure where a Oscar nomination came from it, but sure. Um, all the other nominations for it, though, I agree with. So yeah, um, but yeah, those are the only two I've seen so far from Best Picture. Um, I love Pinocchio, so I hope that wins Best Animation. And yeah, that's about it. Thanks, Sean. Um... Yeah, there's um there's been a few films which are sort of like celebrations of cinema within themselves a little bit, aren't there? So you've got yeah. Fablemans, um, Babylon is, even though the trailer doesn't really suggest that that's what it's going to be, and obviously Empire of Light. Yeah. Um, so that's almost like a subgenre of of itself, and it's interesting. They all seem to have come out of the period of COVID as well, where maybe I think certainly Sam Mendes and Spielberg have both said that they were sort of reflecting on you know, whether cinema would come back and stuff like that. So it's obviously fed into those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those I was just um, listening to a podcast with Steven Spielberg just before joining this, and he was saying exactly what he said there, that he was scared it would be like his last film we'd ever make, so he just wanted to make it about his love for cinema. So, so yeah, I'm glad he did. Catch part two of this film and TV review special next week at filmandtvreview.com or on your favourite podcast player including Apple Tunes, Spotify or Amazon Music and others. We hope you enjoyed this film and TVReview.com episode. 
Catch the latest film and TV reviews, together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week. See you soon. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today.